2015, a young man walked into a, a midweek Bible study. This was in Charleston, uh, South Carolina. And the young man had come in uh, already deciding what he was going to do during this Bible study. He had evil intent. But uh, the people were so welcoming, so friendly, so loving that, that he wavered back and forth as the Bible study went on, whether he would follow through on what he intended to do. Uh, but at the end of the Bible study, even though he felt uh, something there, some, some sort of love that he had never experienced, he decided to follow through with his plan anyway, and he pulled out his gun and he shot 12 people, nine of whom died. The church was, is called Mother Emmanuel in Mother Emmanuel Baptist Church in Charleston, South Carolina, and it was a tragedy that caught the whole nation's attention. Everybody was, every eye was on the members of this church and the people of Charleston. It was only two days after the shooting that uh, the, that the, that the uh, perpetrator, the, the, the shooter, his name was Dylan Roof, stood in a courtroom. He actually didn't stand in a courtroom, it was video cast, but he, he faced, he, he came face to face with many of the, the relatives of the victims that he had shot. The judge was about to announce what, would, what was to be a huge amount of bail, bail set so high that there was no way he could ever uh, pay it, and that was obviously done on purpose. But before he announced the bail, he gave the opportunity for all the relatives to say something directly to the shooter. I don't know if you remember this, but I remember this eight, from eight years ago. It was one of the most powerful testimonies of Christian love that I think I have ever seen in, in news or events. Uh, one person after another stood uh, before, before this person that did these heinous acts, and they said something to the effect of, you took something, you took someone very precious from me, and, I, and I'm filled with sadness, I'm filled with grief, I'm filled with that deep sense of loss, but I forgive you. Two days after this had happened, and these Christian men and women stood before someone that, that did this terrible evil, evil act, and in one way or another, they forgave that person, and then they invited that person into God's forgiveness. Each of them said something to the effect of, may God have mercy on your soul. Not in some sarcastic way, hey, hey, God have mercy on your soul, but in a genuine way to cry out to the Lord that, they might receive, that he might receive God's mercy and forgiveness. It was such a, a countercultural way of how we would expect people that have been hurt so badly to, uh, to, to face this kind of tragedy that it caught the nation's attention and many people i was rejoicing over it i was like wow that is incredible how could you forgive someone in 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 those kind of circumstances so quickly i was caught up with that kind of display of christian love but many didn't react the same way many said what are you doing don't have mercy upon that person. Uh, uh, it, it, it takes away from your anger. Let them, let them bear the full brunt and weight of 
of, uh, of all of your grief and your, your anger. Many people didn't understand it. You see, we live in a culture that doesn't have the ability to understand mercy and grace and forgiveness. We live in a culture that basically tells us to, to take out our revenge on one another, to hold a grudge for a long time. Uh, you fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on you. And we, we would love to put shame on people. We love to hold that revenge. 50% of marriages in this country end in divorce. We're not very good at forgiving one another. And yet forgiveness is at the core of our faith. This is not our culture, but it's not unique to our time. In fact, if you were to go over generation after generation, probably nobody is very good at forgiving one another. It doesn't come natural to us. It's not within our human nature and that's because we've got a sin nature. But first century Judaism uh, was the same way. When Jesus walked this earth, the teaching of the religious teachers was you had to forgive someone three times. Forgive them once, forgive them twice, three strikes, you're out. Uh, three, it was a limited forgiveness. It was a limited forgiveness. But when Jesus comes, he teaches us a different kind of forgiveness. Today I want us to look at Jesus' teaching, and really what we're going to see is an unlimited forgiveness. Now we're going to dig into Matthew chapter 18, but before we read it and before we dig into it, I just want us to understand that when we go into a sermon like this, we know all the Christian answers already, right? Obviously you're supposed to have unlimited forgiveness. Today's sermon is not aimed so much at the head as it is the heart. This is one of these sermons that's easier said than done. Forgiveness is hard. And so I'm going to encourage all of us to look deep within ourselves to say, who is it that I am called to forgive? Or even to forgive again. I've forgiven them, but it's still there's something between me and that person. A spouse, a parent, a loved one, a friend. Who is it that God is going to call you to forgive today? Or maybe the role is switched. Maybe for you, and I can understand this for myself too, it's hard to ask for forgiveness. It's almost easier to forgive than it is to ask for forgiveness. Because then we've got to admit wrong. So today we're asking for the Lord's strength to do what doesn't come naturally to us. Let's go before the Lord and ask for his help right now. Father God, we thank you that you are a God of forgiveness. God, each of us are here in this room, and if we uh, are bold enough to come before your presence, it is only by your mercy. We rest on that. We rest on your forgiveness. God, thank you that you love us so much. Thank you that every once in a while we get glimpses of what life in the kingdom is to look like. The church in South Carolina in our brothers and sisters here at West Covina Christian Church, in our family and among our friends, when we truly have strength from you to do what doesn't come naturally to us. God, I commit this sermon to you now as we read this passage and as we talk about it. God, I pray that you would be our teacher, that you would uh, prick our hearts where you want us to be pricked. Help us to know what is of you and help us to receive it and to do it for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
The passage that we're going to look at today is Matthew 18, and this is teaching from Jesus. We're going to be looking at verses 21 through 35. So I invite you to take out your Bibles. The words will be on the screen if that's easier for you to follow along, but I'm a big fan of opening up the Bible yourself because then you can mark it up, you can get familiar with it, you can put a Put a question mark on something you want to come back to. Put a little asterisk by somewhere that God's calling you to apply it. But today we're looking at Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the servant ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. So in other words, peanuts compared to the 10,000 bags of gold that he owed. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay me back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with you and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servants, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had had on you? In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should until he should pay it back, until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. That, that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about forgiveness from the heart. When we truly forgive deep within our hearts. Peter gets the conversation started here by asking the Lord uh, Jesus, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister? And I think he then suggests a number of times because he thinks, I'm being a really good guy. I'm going to get a fist bump from Jesus, a pat on the back. When he hears what I have to suggest, he says, should I forgive them seven times? And he expects Jesus to say, hey, way to go, buddy. Seven times? That's over double what the teachers of the law are saying. They're saying three. You're doing seven. That's like the number of perfection. But Jesus doesn't uh, respond with that kind of commendation. He, he says, no, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. 
or some translations will say 70 times 7. Really, we're not trying to get at a number here. What's being communicated here is that you are to forgive an infinite amount of times. You know the number in the Bible is the number of perfection, of completion, right? What Jesus is doing here is he's taking that number, and then it's like he's repeating it or he's multiplying it, and, uh, and it's meant to be completion to infinity. You're to let your forgiveness be an unlimited number of times, an unlimited forgiveness. Now, there's two ways that we are to give unlimited forgiveness. The first is probably a little bit more obvious. The, the first is, uh, I'll make this on me. The first is I sin against my wife on Monday, and she forgives me. And then I do it twice on Tuesday, and she still forgives me. Four times on Wednesday, again on Thursday, half a dozen times on Friday. It's unlimited. It's again and again and again. That's unlimited forgiveness. But there's a second way, and this is the one I think is actually the harder way. The harder way is when we have to forgive the same sin over and over again in our hearts. So in other words, you're sinned against on Monday, and on Tuesday you truly forgive that person, and then on Wednesday the feelings for revenge come right back and you have to forgive again, and you do it again and again and again. One of the people that was killed in that South Carolina uh, church shooting was the pastor, and, uh, and in research of this sermon, I went back and I, and I found an interview that was done on the five-year anniversary to the pastor's wife. And uh, the interviewer asked uh, the pastor's wife, have you forgiven the shooter? Have you forgiven Dylan, Brooke, uh, Dylan Roof for uh, what he did? And she said, I forgave him right away, and then I've had to forgive him every day since. You see, that's deep forgiveness. Because sometimes we've been hurt so deep that even though we've truly forgiven, uh, those feelings come back. They come back over and over again. Deep forgiveness is to continue to forgive. And believe me, we can get frustrated with ourselves. Why can't I forgive that person? Well, maybe you truly have forgiven that person. And you just have to continue to forgive because forgiveness is a process. You might get frustrated with yourself, but God does not get frustrated with this kind of unlimited forgiveness. In fact, he's very pleased with it. In fact, I I encourage you to ask for God's strength because God knows that kind of forgiveness is hard. And uh, he would love to help you to give forgiveness over and over and over again. That's Jesus' teaching on unlimited forgiveness in these first two verses. And then after he gives this teaching, he goes into a story. And, the, and in the story, the king uh, has, he wants to settle the debt of all the people that owe him money. And one of the individuals who owes him just an astronomical amount of money is a man who owes him, the NIV says, the New International Version of the Bible says, uh, he owes him 10,000 bags of gold. Your translation may say 10,000 talents. Talents is taking it more literal. Talent was the uh, largest monetary unit in the ancient world. It was equivalent to 6,000 days of work. One talent was. And uh, a day's work was a silver coin called a denarius. And uh, that's what this guy's actually going to 
run into the man on the street. The man on the street's going to owe him one denarius. But this guy owes the king 10,000 talents. A talent is worth 6,000 days of work. So multiply it out. It's 60 million days of work. Or I did the, or I did the uh, division without a day off, never get sick. It would take him 164 years to pay off his debt. And so in other words, he can't pay it off. In fact, that's why uh, the guy is going to be thrown into servitude, him and his children, because it's a, it's a large debt. As the kids would say, this is like a gazillion dollars. You can't even get your mind around it. It's a huge amount of uh, money. But the guy gets down on his knees and he begs the king, please have mercy on me. I'll pay it all back, I promise. And it says that the king is uh, filled with pity towards the man. And he forgives his debt. The word for pity there is a Greek word, splagnizomai. Now, I, I love that word because the Greek professor that taught me that word loved that word. And I do, and I hit myself in the gut every time I say it, because that's what the professor said. He said, splagnizomai. He says, that's what it's supposed to communicate. It gets down in your gut. It, you, you feel it in your core. Splagnizomai, the word for pity here, is, is, is a visceral emotion that, is so, that moves you so deep within you that you, re, that you respond uh, with mercy. And that is who God is towards us. God feels mercy towards us so deeply that he was moved to send his son to this earth to die on the cross for us. You see, the debt that we owe to God because of our sin is like that gazillion dollars. There's no way we could ever pay it back. Uh, and, we, and I think sometimes we almost lose sight of that when we've been a Christian for a while, we almost lose sight of how much God has forgiven us. We could never repay the debt. In fact, if you are here this morning and you're wrestling with, uh, could I ever earn my way to God? Could I ever uh, truly be saved? The truth of the matter is you can't on your own. It's a gift from God. It comes, uh, it comes from the core of who he is. He's a God of mercy. And so he forgives that debt. We don't deserve it. It's an act of mercy. And that's, what the, that's what's illustrated here in this parable. The, the king says, your debt is forgiven. You can't earn it. I give it to you as a gift. Now, you'd think this man would be overjoyed, right? He's going out on the street, jumping for joy, hugging and kissing people he comes in contact with. Oh, wonderful. I've just been forgiven all this debt that I could never repay. But that's not what we see. In fact, he's not hugging and kissing people. The first guy he meets on the street owes him just a little amount. One day he was standing in line at In-N-Out Burger, and the guy ordered five hamburgers, three French fries, and four milkshakes. And then he says, oh, I forgot my wallet. And the guy said, no, I'll get you, but you owe me. And so now he sees the guy on the street who owes him like a hundred bucks max. And he takes him by the collar and he begins to choke him and he says, pay me back right now, you dirty rat. You owe me the money. And it's interesting that the guy responds word for word the same way as the first guy did to the king. He says, have mercy on me and I will repay you back in full. It's word for word. 
Uh, he, he asks for forgiveness of his debt. But this guy does not have any splagnigzomai. This guy uh, is, is choking him to death, and he drags him off to the nearest police station, and he throws him in jail and says, you sit there until you've paid me back. Well, if you saw that today, what would you do? Probably pull out your phone and start recording, right? There's a fight on the street. Uh, that's what we do. We, we record it, and then we put it on social media, and there's outrage all over the place. There's no cell phones back then, but word does get back to the king. And the king has the kind of reaction that we would expect. Let me read this uh, word for word. Here's the king's reaction, verse 32. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And that's exactly what he should have had. And that's what we're called to as well. Shouldn't we have mercy on others because of all that God has done for us? And yet, I don't know about you, but I don't. Not to the degree that God has had on me. In his anger, this is where it starts to get scary, if we put it into our lives. In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured because he hasn't forgiven. FYI, neither have you and I until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. As I've already said, there's application in this message for all of us. Because we're, we're sinners, none of us have forgiven our brothers and sisters from the heart like we should. That, that makes this, these final verses very, very scary. Because what it really reads like when we read this is that our forgiveness now becomes conditional, right? Isn't that how it reads uh, at first glance? Uh, if you don't forgive others, God's not going to forgive you. That's, that's the way it surely uh, reads. And if you play this out to the end, uh, my understanding is... is it would, it would probably be something like, if I don't forgive my brothers and sisters enough, I'm in danger of hell to be tortured and punished for all eternity. It, this is a really hard verse to understand. And so, as I've wrestled with it uh, all week, I've come to the conclusion that's not quite what it means, but its significance is no less than that. This is what I think this means. Uh, first of all, we have to understand that just even when we don't forgive as we should, it doesn't make God's forgiveness limited. Okay, it doesn't make God's forgiveness conditional upon our ability to forgive. God's forgiveness is complete. 1 John 1.9 says, If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful. He will not renege on his promise. If we confess our sins, he will forgive us. No, the prison that is being talked about here in this passage is a prison that we are thrown into of our own making. If we don't forgive, then we are held in bondage to our own feelings of 
anger and resentment and desire for revenge and, and hurt. You see, what this passage is saying, and this is significant, if we don't forgive others, we're going to miss out on some of the blessing that God has for us. You're going to miss out on his peace, his joy. You're going to miss out on healed relationships, but you're going to miss out on so many of the blessings that God has for you as a follower of his. You see, this is a, this is a teaching with a promise that he's calling us into something good. Sometimes we don't want to forgive because we think, well, it makes me feel better to hang on to this. No, it doesn't. That's another lie from the devil. It, uh, what will ultimately lead, us, ultimately lead us to the greatest happiness, to the best life possible, is when we embrace the difficult path of forgiveness. One of the people that uh, was killed in that South Carolina shooting was a woman by the name of Charlanda Singleton. And uh, she had an 18-year-old son at the time. His name was Chris, and he was a follower of Jesus as well. And uh, Chris uh, was overwhelmed by that, that, uh, that tragedy that happened to his family. He was filled with all the grief and loss and sadness that you would expect but he said something profoundly profound about forgiveness that I'd like to quote for you uh, word for word. This is what Chris Singleton said. He said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. That, that's what this passage is talking about when he says getting thrown into prison and being tortured. To forgive sets you free and then you discover that the prisoner was you. You see, when we don't forgive, we're, we're putting ourselves in our own prison where we're locking that anger and that, that, that hurt within us. But forgiveness is to be set free. And so this is a challenge to all of us to forgive others just as God has forgiven us and to know deep down in our hearts that it's for our good. You see, unforgiveness is like a cancer that'll eat away at our soul. Now, if you catch, catch the cancer early enough, there's treatment. And even if you catch it late, there, 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 could be, uh, there could be treatment. But if we don't treat it with, the, with God's forgiveness, it'll eat away at our soul. And it'll cause us to shrivel up and die inside, emotionally and spiritually. And so today's call is to forgive just as God has forgiven us. And when we do forgive, there is healing. God brings healing and wholeness to our relationships and to our own souls. Now, I've, I've already said this a couple times. This is one of these sermons easier said than done, right? And, uh, but I, I kind of, I, I looked at this from, I, I did a little exercise this week. And, uh, and I'm going to encourage you to do this with me right now. There, there's only two steps in this exercise. The reason I put this exercise up is because I think this moves us towards acceptance. Part of deep forgiveness is acceptance. And so the exercise, the first step is, and I'm going to give you a moment to do this in a minute, uh, I forgive and you fill in the blank. Could be a person that you haven't forgiven. Could be a person that you've forgiven that it requires unlimited forgiveness. You're still forgiving them day after day in your heart. And then here is the kicker. I have grown or am growing to fill in the blank. 
You see, the reason I think that the second bullet is, bullet is possible is because God is able to take the hurt that happens in our lives and he is able to transform it for our good. we got a transforming uh, God, right? And so we, he can take the hurt and the things that we, have, that we have experienced in our lives and part of the forgiveness is seeing, not only giving grace, but seeing God's grace in that hurt. So, for example, just to get us started here, if your hurt was from neglect, perhaps you grow in finding your love and acceptance from God. Because you know what it's, not, what it's like to not experience that love and acceptance from someone else. If your hurt was from someone letting you down, then perhaps you're growing to become more sacrificially giving and less prideful, not expecting so much from others. If your hurt was betrayal, perhaps you're growing to trust in God more, to place your trust in him. If your hurt was abuse, perhaps you grow to combat lies with God's truth. If your hurt was your own failures, then perhaps your forgiveness is to forgive yourself and you learn that God is in control of your life and that you don't have the responsibility to carry everything yourself. You see, I think these are two, these are two, power, these are two steps to a powerful exercise of learning acceptance and learning deep forgiveness. So how would you fill in those blanks? Take a minute and ask the Lord to reveal to you someone that you need to forgive today. Who is it that you'd put in the first blank? And what good is God bringing into your life? How are you growing? Or how have you grown because of the hurt that came that, that you're working towards forgiveness in that area? What good is God bringing about in your life? I'm so thankful that we have a God who meets us in our hurt and our sorrow. I'm so thankful that we've got a God who strengthens us to do what we can't do on our own. You know, as we close this service today, I just want to highlight two truths about our God. One is that our God forgives. That God, our God is so rich in mercy, there is nothing that you have ever done that God could not forgive you of. This is his nature. This is, this is who he is at his core, in his gut. When Jesus hung on the cross and the soldiers uh, mocked him and, uh, and passerbys came uh, around and spit upon him, what was his response? Uh, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Our God is a forgiving God at his, at his very core. Psalm 103 says he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west. And that's a long ways. East will never meet west. So far has he removed his, uh, our, 
our transgressions from us. The truth number one is our God forgives. Truth number two is our God transforms. That our God is a God so powerful that he can transform any, good, uh, any harm to turn out for our good. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for good, for, of, for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. See, what others intended for harm, God will turn out for our, will turn into our good. That's the, that's the power of his transformation. And so this gives us the ability to forgive. Just as Joseph forgave his brothers who sold him into slavery, and he said, hey, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. And God can take and transform anything and everything. We're very blessed today to have a couple testimonies uh, of those that have God has forgiven and transformed their lives. And so I'm going to invite them up in a minute, but before they do, let's, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come before you and we thank you that you love us so much. We thank you that you are deep in mercy, that you are rich in mercy. God, we thank you that that's at the core of who you are. And so, God, we thank you that you have forgiven us. And we pray that now, as we get ready to hear these testimonies and baptize uh, these two individuals into your family, we pray that you would help us to rejoice in what you have done in their lives. And may it remind us of all that you have done in our lives as well. God, if there is anyone here today that has not received you as their Savior and Lord, I pray that they would be able to cry out to you today. That they, would, that they would ask you to forgive their sins and to come into their life and that they would receive you as their Savior and Lord. God, there is no better life than a life that is lived with and for Jesus. And I pray that you would give them that gift today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.